The Infinite Serial Chapter 6 The Cup of Elijah The Year 2025 Elgin peeled the chopper over Douglas Lake, kept the altitude at 2300, airspeed 220 knots. Some speed on this bird, said Cyber. The tinny voice came over the voice-activated mic. And we save an hour going west, so right on schedule, said Elgin. The eagle's view from the sky, the dots of houseboats, pleasure craft leaving white wakes in the blue of the lake below was pure beauty. Remind you of home, sir? Oh, this is home, said Elgin. It just needs some renovation. Elgin kept the chopper on the straight and narrow, 260 degrees, clear sky. Five minutes into the flight, Elgin reached behind a seat, extracted a black box that looked to cyber like some sort of video game. The black box had lenses, side speakers, and a strap to lock it to the head. Cyber gave Elgin a quick, suspicious glance and slipped on the device. Elgin's voice popped through the speakers. "'Something you should see here,' he said. "'Mortals, even Kohai, can't travel through time without technology. But with a little tinkering with Einstein's theory, we thought you should have a look forward.' Cyber found himself in a room of wood and fine stone, the hinted glow of candles. The Star of David appeared on a paneled wall. Elgin, this is more reality than virtuality. This is at least 6D, said Cyber. Where am I? It used to be called West Side Synagogue. It's no longer in the West Side. It now only exists at all by the power of God. A handful of Jews who survived the vandalism, fire bombings, the vicious attacks on character, the murders, were forced to move underground. The temple is now a converted storage room below what used to be a very popular mall just south of Nashville. The order has been most effective in their drive to disperse, imprison, re-educate, decimate, or eliminate any element of God left on the planet. Some remnants, true believers, remain. Keep quiet or go underground. The temple is now known as Congregation Shereth Israel, an underground synagogue, said Cyber. I'd heard that Jesus may have studied it one such in his hidden years. I've heard the rumor, said Elgin. A figure now appeared in the black box. Elgin's voice came through the speakers. This is Rabbi Rosenberg. Through the black box, Cyber watched the young rabbi with yarmulke and much Yiddish as he solemnly approached the green cloth table before him. The table was impeccably set with fine china plates, symbolic art rounding their edges. Gefilte fish, matzo balls, roast chicken, sweet potatoes, traditional Seder foods. Rabbi Rosenberg assiduously set five cups of wine on the table before him. Elgin spoke. In Jewish tradition, prayers are given with each taking of the cup by the celebrants. The fifth cup, in the Seder, dinner is not to be touched. It is reserved for a visitor, a prophet, who will usher in the arrival of the Messiah. It is known as Elijah's cup, in honor of the great prophet who may himself be that visitor, perhaps this very night. The door is left open in anticipation of his arrival. Cyber perhaps only imagined the flint of irony in Elgin's tone. 
So fascinated he was with the reality of the virtuality, he for the first time noted the time-date stamp in the lower left corner of the screen, 655-655, 23 minutes before sundown, April 12, 2025, Shabbat, Passover. And it's barely past 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, said Cyber. The numbers in the dream, 655? God wink, said Ocean. Rabbi Rosenberg poured the fifth cup of wine, the cup of Elijah. The images ceased. You can take the hoodie off now, Kohai Cyber. Cyber slipped the black box from his eyes and blinked in the sudden sunlight. He looked at Elgin. I appreciate the winks, he said, but I believe I was told I'd know when I get there. Are, are we there yet? Elgin looked at Cyber, eyes stern yet warm. You know when you get there, Kohai Cyber. Jen was in no need of flying machines to travel to Nashville. She sat in the driver's seat of the light blue Chevy Malibu, Marathon Village, Nashville. It was blocks of red brick, former home of Marathon Motors, an industrial complex, former home of art shops, American pickers, low-budget filmmakers, T-shirts, coffee mugs, and one now-defunct Christian radio station. Following the great economic reset of the earlier 20s, it had become just another autonomous zone. The autonomy belonged to any mass of muscle and weaponry strong enough to hold it. At the moment, it was a Hispanic street gang, known as the Supervivienses, the survivors. Mamacita, mamacita, que haces? Que estes en mi barrio? Jen noted the tattoo. It was a most unimpressive representation of Satan. It pressed against the window of the car, storting the image against the glass. Above the tattoo was a grim grin filled with lust and contempt. Jen appeared to do nothing. The window rolled down with an electric hiss. You know how he handled Satan? Jen reached out the window, her fingers pinching the industrial diamond piercing of her visitor's left ear. She led his ear and face to hers, spoke as a loving mother. Tell your friends, go home now. It's getting late, and Mama Sita is getting worried about her babies. Through twisted lips the head spoke. Si, Mama Sita, si, lo siento mucho. Jen leaned close to the captured ear. It's not too late, Miguel Angel. It's not too late. Jen slowly moved her hand from the ear to the back of the young man's neck and caressed it gently. The young man raised his head and stared back into the eyes of the angel. His eyes widened in awe and fear. He turned from the window, pushed the two superbeviendos behind him aside, and ran without a glance backward. One last look from the remaining two at the face through the window and they too were gone. The black Camaro crept into Jen's rearview mirror. She needn't have watched. She knew it would be there on time. The Camaro pulled in, parked directly behind Jen. The parking lots blinked twice. Jen exited the car and moved toward the door in the front of the red brick expanse. She gestured the driver of the Camaro to follow. The door opened. The man appeared, overcoat, dark-brimmed hat. He took a quick look through the neighborhood, tentatively followed Jen through the door. He was David Cyber. He was Alfred Dregan. The similarity was unmistakable. 
Once inside, the two stood at the entrance of a wide hallway, steel doors to either side. Sliding footsteps echoed. There was no sign of life, commerce. They were, they were alone. The man gazed at Jen and then down the empty hallway. His face turned to anguish. The voices, the pain, the loneliness. He clapped his hands over his ears and winced in agony. He paused and stared at Jen. I was told, I, I was told, I, I was told I was commanded to meet someone at this location at 4, 4 p.m., someone who would provide me with the, the tools that I would need to accomplish a mission on, on behalf of the people, all the people. It's, it's my duty to the order, to, to mankind. His, his eyes widened in near panic. But who, who are you? He said, now trembling. I, I believe I've, I've come to the wrong place. I, I must started to turn toward the metal door behind him. Come, she said. There's, there's nothing to fear, Jason. Jen lifted her eyes to an unseen above, moved toward the man, gently took his hand. Nothing to fear, Jason. There's nothing to fear. The Infinite Serial, brought to you by Spider Investigations. Spider Eye, S-P-Y-D-E-R-P-I dot com. Have a great day.